Okay. So, the inner critic. What is this thing we call it, the inner critic? I'm sure many of you know, but just to paint the picture a bit clearer. It's that uh, dynamic inside, that structure, almost like a sub-personality inside, that is constantly putting us down, constantly uh, belittling us. The voice of negativity, of self-criticism, self-judgment, it's the self-judge. Blaming ourselves constantly, constantly nagging at us. It's a pervasive sense of uh, shame. Shame for what we are, how we are, who we are. Harshness. The inner, inner environment, the inner climate is, is, uh, is one of harshness, we might say. It is, of course, a force of aversion and a force of contempt as well. It's almost holding ourselves in contempt when that is strong. So with that, with when that's up and running, this structure, this dynamic, when it's up and running, there's a feeling of inadequacy, of not being enough. Who I am and how I am is not enough. Not being worthy. So much pain can be caught up in this structure, caused by this structure. So much havoc, decimation. It's incredible how much. Some people, it's so prevalent and so much an ongoing part of the inner world that it's hard to imagine that it it cannot be there, that it wouldn't be there. It's hard to imagine life in the absence of that force. It is, in our culture, is extremely common. This is what I noticed in talking to so many people. Uh, it's an extremely common uh, dynamic in our culture. So, so common that, that people suffer with this. So, first of all, that's good to know. <coughs> Very often, people suffering with this inner critic constellation inside feel like it's just me. It's just me. Somehow there's something wrong with me, and I have this strange pattern of self-criticism, self-hatred when it's extreme. Uh, but actually, it's really important to know that we're not alone. One is not alone in this. And sometimes, you know, if you come on retreat at Guy House, whatever, and we have those small groups, and people check in, and someone dares to voice the pain of this experience of the inner critic, the self-judge. And you can almost feel the breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, thank goodness, it's not just me. I'm sharing that. So it's important to know that we're not alone in it. Sometimes people believe it's just me. Other extremes, sometimes people assume that everyone has it. That no one, uh, unless you have some kind of uh, miraculously... uh, dysfunction-free upbringing, uh, that you're going to have this, basically. Everyone's going to have this. It's there. That's the other extreme assumption, in a way. Interestingly, whether I assume I'm alone in it, I'm the only one, or whether I assume everyone has it, absolutely everyone has it, 
both of those assumptions, opposite, but both of them will tend to lead to a sense of despair. And it's, it's actually quite interesting. Chris asked me what, what I was going to teach 14 months whatever, uh, ahead. Some, I can't remember which group. Someone asked me, would you come to a day on, what would, what would you like to do on it? It was much sooner. It was like a few weeks away and we were asking for a title. And I said, oh, I'll talk about being a critic. And, and then I was saying, what should I, I was writing an email, what exactly should I call it? <clears throat> and I remember calling this one Liberation from the Inner Critic. And I was thinking of calling the other one Ending the Inner Critic. And I was in the office at Guy House, and I just turned to a couple of the, the coordinators there, and I said, what do you think about that for a title? And they looked at me and they said, but surely you can't end it. I mean, maybe you can kind of quieten it a bit, or kind of soften its aggressive edges. But you can't end it. I mean, it's kind of part of life, right? And how prevalent that assumption is. It's actually, this is something we, we may be born into because of whatever, I'll go into that. But it's going to be with us till our dying day. And the pain of that and the constriction and, and the, the cramping. And it's not. It's possible to end it. So actually, I'd like to rename the title today, Ending the Inquisition. Ending, because it's really, really possible to end it. And that I absolutely know. It's not that. <coughs> um, can you hear okay? How's that? The prevalence of this, or just the fact that it exists for us, it's understandable. It's, a, it's understandable that it's there, especially given our history that we might have. Perhaps, um, perhaps our family history and some of the messages, uh, explicit and implicit, that we absorb from the family dynamic, perhaps. But perhaps also in the education system. It's somehow a message that very uh, easily, certainly when I was going to school, got rolled up and, and communicated in, in the very way we were taught and everything that was around education. So it is understandable. It's important not to blame oneself for the existence of this structure inside oneself. It's understandable given the history. It's also very interesting that it might be a, a cultural phenomenon. In other words, it, this, this inner critic appears very prevalently in some cultures, like ours. Uh, it's not so common as yet in the East, in, in, in Eastern cultures, for the most part. That seems quite interesting. We have, this is be a whole other <laughs> talk and subject, we have, uh, because of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and other things that happened historically, we have a culture of individuality with everything beautiful and all the beautiful freedoms that that brings, we take that for granted, that we are individuals free to pursue and explore our individual parts. But it also has a shadow side, in the fragmentation of society and what we feel kind of held by, supported, rested in. And even further with consumerist culture, and now social science is actually seeing a real correspondence with this kind of uh, unhappy
happy relationship with oneself and the existence of consumer culture. So individualism, consumer culture, go together. I'm not, I'm not prey to that. I'm, I'm not, I don't buy into all that consumer stuff. Yet it's the air we breathe. It's the messages we receive. When that is strong, the, the inner critic will, as it has, actually reach epidemic proportions. They, they build each other. And it will be interesting, you know, as globalization, uh, the, the, the sort of consumer's ethos and ethics spreads, what, what will happen globally. Anyway, that's a whole separate subject. But it is understandable. So let's just explore some of the therapy of what, what the impact of this is, what the force of it is, what the results of this are in our life. It has so many different effects, so many ways its um, fingers get into the different uh, aspects of our life, the different tributaries, so many ways it controls us, constricts us, cramps us, oppresses us. I just want to pick out a few. One of the ways is how it affects our practice and our relationship with meditation practice, with spiritual practice, our relationship with our sense of our own process and journey in life, spiritually, uh, psychologically, etc. One of the ways, very easily, is that should, should comes into practice. And, and the uh, force behind practice, the motivation behind practice, actually gets usurped. By this inner critic, and it becomes a, a, a should. I should meditate. I should really should get my concentration together. I should be more loving. I should this. I should that. And that, that comes very strongly into practice, oftentimes. With a should, of course, you can almost hear it in the word, should is pressure. Pressure. It brings a sense of pressure and being pressurized into our relationship with what should be a gift to ourselves, practice, and, and in an inquiry. Now that's quite interesting. That pressure has lots of different effects. It can block, it can cramp, it can inhibit, it can shut down, it can end the whole practice. It can also kind of give rise, uh, well, it can squeeze the juice and the joy out of our practice. So what should be, what should feel like quite a juicy, joyful journey of inquiry, because of this pressure, because of this shit, becomes very easy, quite dry, quite brittle, quite lacking in joy, sometimes for some people. Also, when there's pressure, what can also happen is a kind of other inner character is born, you could say, in, in reaction to this pressure. In reaction to the inner critic, we get the manifestation of the inner rebel. Feels like the inner critic is pressuring me. You must meditate, you must meditate this song every day, you must do it better, you must, 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 shit, shit, shit. And then comes, you know, inner rebel uh, character. And it's, I don't want to do that. Why should I? And there's, there's a sense of uh, throwing it, throwing actually the practice out. Well, hopefully we'll get time to get back to this this afternoon, but the inner rebel is actually a manif manifestation of a healthy life force. There's something healthy in us saying, no, this is not right. 
it's my vitality, my dynamic nature arising, perhaps in not such a constructive way. We'll get back to this actually in a But the should and the pressure can have all kinds of uh, effects. Another way that comes into affecting our process and our, our practice <clears throat> is, again, it can constrain, inhibit, block our capacity for questioning, for deep questioning in life, for asking deep questions. The deepest possible question, the most beautiful question. You know, to ask deeply, like, how do I want to live? What's most deeply important to me? What is this existence? How do I see it more clearly, more profoundly? These are such uh, potent and, and profound questions. So much importance to be able to ask them. It's part of our innate freedom to be able to be free to ask such questions of ourselves, to ask questions deeply of life and deeply of our existence. When the inner critic is there, that capacity to question gets strangled along with a lot of other things. <clears throat> sometimes the questions are very deep, sometimes uh, it's, just, it's just a kind of ongoing level of curiosity, inquiry into our experience that gets cranked. I was talking with someone uh, just not too long ago and just reported something very common. Long retreat, trying to work with her breath and develop her breath meditation. And comes in for an interview and says, Oh, there's all this planning going on, planning mind. Why am I planning? Why am I planning? But why am I planning was actually not a question and it didn't even sound like a question. It's just a judgment dressed up as a question. She wasn't really asking why I was really the inner critic. It shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening. It's not okay. I'm not okay because I can't concentrate. But all this insidious was so used to it, didn't even realize it was going on. So used to breathing in that air. And yet, what's, what's the effect of that? Basically, non-questioning, we shouldn't be happening, a non-acceptance of ourselves, a non-acceptance of what's actually happening, in this case some uh, dukkha, some suffering with, with the experience. And impossible then to inquire into what's underneath this planning. Why actually is that planning? What's the experience of planning? Is there something keeping it going? What happens when I plan? So in the Dharma we talk about four noble truths. <clears throat> the first one we say there is suffering. It's the first first there is dukkha, there is dissatisfaction, disease, discontent. In a way, in those three words, there is actually one word in Pali, is dukkha. Three words, there is suffering. What he's really saying is this is this is the condition that we move in, this is part of the human condition, that we will meet this in body, in mind, in relationship, in environment. We will meet this. There will be dissatisfaction at times. But also wrapped up in that one word, in those three words in English, there is suffering. Wrapped up is an implicit uh, invitation to accept that fact. This is the human condition. There will be suffering. There will, we will definitely meet that, no question. Every day we need it. 
If that acceptance isn't there, it's very quickly the inner critic comes in and says, it's not okay, I don't accept it, it shouldn't be happening, I'm not okay for this to be happening, then I cannot take the next step into the second noble truth, which is an inquiry into what is causing this suffering. Do I have to suffer just because planning is going on? Or is planning masking something? Masking perhaps a deeper pain? Could be many things. But I cannot inquire without the acceptance. This question in capacity is most, most beautiful of our human capacities to question deeply and pointedly and, and doggedly even life and existence. It gets really cramped. In relationship to practice, oftentimes the question becomes, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Is this right? Am I okay? And sometimes we don't even know that, that that's what the questioning current has become. Am I doing it right? And all, all the uh, depth of, and the power of that current can be our practice. With all the joy and all the discovery, it gets cramped. Am I doing it right? Or in, in relationship, you know, when the critic is there, will they think I'm stupid? Will they think I'm boring? So much anxiety, social anxiety comes in via the inner critic because we're not okay with ourselves. Because there isn't that bottom line of unconditional self-love and self-acceptance, self-warmth. And then it has to seep out into the way I am with others. So, a little while ago, someone realized uh, again on retreat guys, again actually trying to develop their breath practice, and realize that this was the questioning. Am I doing it right? And then in realizing it's actually quite liberating. And then is it possible to change the question and actually begin to ask myself different questions as the practice is going on? So instead of being with the breath, am I doing it right? It's can't be right. So sort of that just pervasive little nattering in the background of screaming. The question becomes, how am I? How am I? That's a very different question. It's a question of kindness. In that question is this kindness, rather than meeting some demands. How am I? And eventually that also became, what's helpful now? Again, it's a question that is embodying and manifesting, expressing kindness. What is helpful now in relationship to the breath, in relationship to deepening concentration? Very different to how we're doing it now. <clears throat> so still, just wanting to chart the territory a little bit of this inner critic, and that's a bit heavy to hear it's interesting if you get a chance to look at the sort of collection of the Buddha's talks and discourses, which is probably a shelf load about that big. Quite a lot. 45 years of teaching, quite a lot. I actually don't know of one instance where he talks about this dynamic. It's pretty much absent. Rather, he talks a lot about striving, about maximizing your effort, about really engaging your full kind of uh, wish for awakening. 
quite a different language. Nowadays, as teachers, in this culture, we have to be very careful. If I start throwing out words like striving, for most people, it's just going to go right and land in, in the critic. And it will just be interpreted from that and kind of cause all the, uh, the part of the, the chaos inside. So we have to be very sensitive to language <coughs> in a different way because of this. Because it's such a powerful and uh, prevalent force in the Dharma world. So if I say that the inner critic, because of the pain, because of the prevalence, if I say that that needs challenging, we need to challenge it I mean, together uh, as a Dharma culture, as a wider Western culture, and also as individuals. It needs challenging. The inner critic needs to be challenged. But even saying that is now where one could be hearing that through the inner critic. Well, not only have I got the pain of the inner critic, then I've got this, someone telling me that I should be challenging it, in other words, I should be over it and have dealt with it. So, I suck because of the inner critic. <coughs> Very often, uh, what we see and hear, uh, we filter it through the lenses of the inner critic, and we feel judged, we feel seen, through that lens. It's almost like we project it outwards. And very sadly, sometimes, very sadly, this finds its way into colouring the relationships <coughs> that should be the most nourishing for us. Sometimes this projection of judgment, it projection of the critic out, and we start uh, even with an intimate partner, we feel they say something or they don't say something, we feel uh, we're being judged, we're being seen through that lens. <clears throat> or with a teacher, with an authority figure, again, the purpose of that, or the purpose for any teacher or somebody in a psychotherapist-client relationship, it's, it's, for, it's for love, it's for growing. And yet sometimes it's those very relationships where the most could be the most beautiful, the most healing, can, can uh, come that projection. So to challenge it, that uh, doesn't mean uh, non-kindness. Actually, to challenge it is a movement of kindness. Like I said earlier, we'll talk about suffering. It is possible that the inner rebel comes up when someone says the inner critic needs to be challenged. And the inner rebel comes up, instead of being against the inner critic, it comes up against practice. And we've got two forces flashing away at us at what, what should be helpful. But the possibility in practice is immense. It's absolutely immense. If there's one thing to take from today, it's that it really is possible to, to be free of this. So I was thinking, <coughs> I was thinking about this. Uh, and what I really want to talk about today is how do we move towards freedom? Is this? How is it possible to unseat this force? How is it possible to dissolve the the, the clamp of this structure? 
when I thought about it, it came up, this is by no means an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but uh, there's two groups of five, and I want to explore this over the course of the day. Two groups of five approaches and practices. First set of five is when the inner critic is really strong, when we're in the grips of it, when, when it's strangling us, strangling our heart. And the second group of five is uh, ways we can practice, approaches we can bring, reflections, etc., when the inner critic is not so active, and the times where it's a little bit quiet. <coughs> so the first slide, uh, for those of you who like <coughs> this and are writing, if you want. Uh, first one is, and I'll go through <coughs> in a lot of detail today, so first one is the loving kindness practice, the metta. The second one is learning to bring kindness into our mindfulness and learning to give the inner critic space. <laughs> the third one is <clears throat> investigating, using the mindfulness to investigate uh, the inner critic and to gain, if you like, some objectivity through the mindfulness and through the investigation. The fourth one is learning to question the inner critic and really start probing it through our questioning capacity and through dialoguing with it. And the fifth one is reclaiming, <coughs> reclaiming our power, reclaiming our sense, our healthy sense of inner power. I don't mean power over anyone, I mean power inside ourselves. Right in the time when we feel we have no power, we feel like we're just being squashed under the, the, the heel of what the inner critic is inflicting. Right in that time, it's actually possible to access our parents. This is what I want to go into. The other five I'll go to. <coughs> I'll go to them all today. So, maybe I'll just make a start right now and, uh, with the first one, with the meta. Uh, Metta is this word in Pali, M-E-T-T-A, it means loving kindness, so deep friendliness. And it's, it's a kind of meditation practice in part, it's more than that, but in part it's a kind of meditation practice where we just patiently uh, sow the seeds of kindness, well-wishing, towards ourselves and towards actually all beings. And oftentimes people use phrases, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. Said. Just repeat these phrases, trying to connect with them. And over time, this has an enormously powerful impact. Of course, when the inner critic is strong, when that uh, dynamic is up and running and has all its power, its kind of locomotion, its momentum, repeating little phrases may I be peaceful, seems like a complete joke. It's like spitting into the ocean. It's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. It can feel that way. What feels real at the time of the inner critic is the inner critic. That is what feels real, and that's what the perceptions of the inner critic and the thoughts of the inner critic feel like they're real and they're convincing. But it's only that we're locked into a certain perception of things. In a way, from one point of view, the inner critic is just 
a habit, or you could say it's certain habitual thoughts from one perspective, and they just go round and round. Certain kinds of thoughts, negative, self-judgment, and so forth. It's the habit of those thoughts, those habitual thoughts, plus the habit of believing those thoughts. And from one perspective, that's what the inner critic is. So it's uh, an orbit, a tight orbit, of negative self-thinking and the belief of those negative thoughts. And that's all it is, in a way. What's very freeing about that is that it's the word habit. It's just a habit. Whereas a habit has grown and calcified and can be dehabituated. We just start setting up different habits. Different habits of thinking and different habits of believing. I can't get to this. But when we do the meta, we're setting, we're putting into orbit, we're kind of launching satellites, different, different thoughts, different thoughts, and eventually they become the habitual thoughts. Thoughts of kindness, of peace, self-cherishing, self-celebrating. This habit of the inner critic just loses its power, and this habit of self-love actually, actually gets more powerful. And it's just, it's just time and repetition. And the stickiness of belief, which I'll come back to, also loosens in there. It's just a stuck in a certain perception, with certain goggles on, to believe the inner critic as being the real truth of things. With the metapractice, I have, I have seen miracles for myself, but also with, uh, with others. Absolute miracles. A person so, uh, so tormented and so imprisoned by this structure, over years, decades even, just patiently, patiently planting seeds with the loving-kindness practice, even when it feels ridiculous and laughable. Just patiently plant the seed, just like a good farmer, just like a good gardener, and it pays off. Something starts uh, thawing in, 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 in the ice block. Something starts thawing, and, and, and waters of kindness begin to flow. It's just about time and patience and a little bit of faith. <coughs> so oftentimes when there is when there is this pattern with the inner critic, a kind of self some of the very strong self-loathing, self-hatred even, self-contempt is the same. Sometimes we tend to think, I'll just give the loving kindness to myself, myself, myself. And that can be very, very fruitful. But it's actually really helpful as well to let the matter spread, to give the matter to others. When I, when I give love and kindness to others, it cannot help bathe me. Those waters bathe me on the way out. It cannot help that. So I'm, I'm just as healed, in a way, giving love and kindness to others as I am to myself. And, 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 we need the love of others. So very often in meditation cultures, and like, like these of course, we tend to think all the letting go, all the freeing, all the clarity, everything should be coming from here. I'll shut my eyes, I'll go inside, and from my own practice, things will come free. And of course, there's enormous power, enormous potential from our own developing, really developing our own meditation practice and our own uh, Dharma practice in general. But actually, how much of a gift 
or about physics to uh, have uh, the love of others expressed. And how much uh, healing can come from that. When someone else expresses their faith in us, some of those times when we cannot believe in our own goodness, we cannot believe in our own potential, someone else says something. Now, oftentimes I say this to people and, and, and they say, yeah, I, oftentimes people compliment me, oh, good job, you did well, or well, you did that really well. And I don't, I just, maybe it's very much, I don't know, I just kind of blank it, I just kind of let it slide off the surface, and it doesn't land anywhere. So I do mean that, it's like taking in the compliment, but actually I mean something even more powerful. And I don't know, I don't know if you've had this, either been on the receiving end or the giving end. When someone looks at you very intently and you know, you feel them looking at you, you feel their gaze penetrate. And you might want to squirm away, and you might want to remove yourself from that intensity. But you know they're looking deep into you, and perhaps they're looking a lot deeper than you can see yourself right then, with a lot more clarity, with a lot more uh, reality, insight, if you like. And they say, I see you. I see you and I see your goodness, I see your beauty. I don't care what you say, I don't care what you think. You can't squirm away. They've kind of got you there, pinned you. And sometimes that goes really deep for a person. You've been on the receiving end of that as I have, or on the giving end of that as I also have, and sometimes as a, as a teacher or as a <coughs> psychotherapist, it's very appropriate. It's the right thing to do. A person cannot <coughs> see themselves very fully at that time. They cannot see their own beauty. And the way we're giving someone the gift of a truer seeing when they can't look at them. And hopefully, in time, they learn to absorb that looking and then they can look at themselves the same way and look in a way that looks deeply and sees the full beauty of Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.